We are go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, greetings, and welcome back to Planet 8. My fellow galactic travelers, I am your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base here on Planet 8. With me, as always, is Chief Engineer Bob in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in an orbital satellite is our reconnaissance officer, Karen. You've tuned in to this episode, and we will be talking about robots. Kicking us off straight away, we're going to throw it to the satellite. Karen, are you reading? Yes, I hear you loud and clear, Larry. Very and, uh, good. Karen, I'd like for you to share with us one of, because I know we all like robots, your picks for robot discussion on this podcast. Well, Larry, before I get to uh, one of my picks, I... I wanted to say a little bit about this topic because I think it's one of those things that is um, kind of in everybody's thoughts right now, whether it's robots or artificial intelligence. Mm. Um, there's probably no topic that um, instills both more fear and hope in humanity um, than the idea of sort of uh, – conscious uh, machines and True. throughout uh, the history of, of science fiction um, I think we've seen robots depicted as either uh, helpful servants or terrifying threats um, you have like the, the robots in Star Wars like R2-D2 or then you have things like the Terminator and so we have this strange kind of dichotomy when we look at robots um, and it's sort of, I, I think, how we look at um, technology in general, you know, is it can be used for good or ill. But robots, because in some ways they sort of embody um, another form of humanity, maybe a, a, a strange or evolved form of humanity, um, can instill a lot of emotions in people. Mm. And I think, um, for me, one of my picks... Um, probably illustrates this um, really well. Uh, I'm thinking not only of a character, but a specific episode of a television show. Um, I'm thinking of the character of Data, the android on Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. And uh, although I would not say the first couple of seasons of Next Gen were great seasons, um, in the second season of Next Generation, there was an episode um, called The Measure of a Man. Yes. Um, this is a really good episode, and it was all about basically whether uh, data was property, whether data was uh, self-aware and could make it his own decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so data, being an android and being um, incredibly useful uh, to Starfleet, uh, there was a desire on the part of a scientist to replicate data. Um, but Data was not convinced that this scientist really knew what he was doing, 
And so he objected to the scientists' plans. And so they held a trial because uh, essentially, you know, one side said, well, you know, data's property. He could, it doesn't have a, a decision to make here. Mm-hmm. So Picard defends him. And, and uh, initially he has a difficult time defending him. Uh, but then after a talk with uh, Guinan, played by Whoopi Goldberg, realizes that the case comes down to this idea of whether data can be seen essentially as a being, a self-aware being or not. And if that's the case, then the idea of replicating him is basically the idea of making a race of servants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eventually the court rules that he can't be seen as property. They're not sure that he's self-aware, but if he even, if there's a chance that he is, um, then they, they really can't rule uh, that he's property. And it was a really moving episode. Um, and it, it a lot of food for thought. Like, how do we even know we have consciousness? You know, how do you determine that? You know, there's kind of a, a nebulous, um, nebulous term but i thought it was a really well done episode and i and the things that happened with data later on uh as a character were very fascinating and i kind of the one thing i wish they hadn't done with him as he explored this uh journey for humanity um you know he was constantly learning from people constantly Mm -hmm. expanding his awareness um they unfortunately at some point brought in this idea of an emotion chip which kind of uh, negated all the growth he had had (laughs) over the course of the series. It was like, oh, you can just plug in an emotion chip. You didn't have to go through all this other stuff. But I think Data was a really great example of, um, uh, you know, probably on that positive side of of an android and, you know, this idea of life. And I think a lot of these examples will probably have also go back to the whole Frankenstein story, too, of Mm. man creating life, but also that fear of that life sort of supplanting him. So anyway, sorry to suck up so much airtime. No, no, uh, that was a good... uh, I I really like that character, and I I think um, it illustrates a lot of the issues we have with robots and androids it was a a great pick and actually i remember that episode very well uh bbc america started playing the next generation and i was catching up on all these episodes and that was one of them that came on and Riker, being for the uh the prosecution turns data off yeah it's like whoa that was like the low point in the it's quite uh, stunning when he shuts him off. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's trying to make a point. And, and this is like Data's friend, if not one of his best friends, and he's like, he had to do this, you know, because it was his his uh, mission. Uh, anyway, what what hurt me with Data, and I agree with you, and I don't know if that episode was before he created LOL or after, but that's that was another. Before. That was before. It was another amazing, amazing episode. and. Mm-hmm. You know her, her the memory cascading and having to say goodbye and uh, won't talk about it anymore. I don't want to tear up on a podcast, but uh, <laughs> the way that they ended data and it just it it killed me. Very good friend of ours, Karen, uh, almost threw away every single episode of the Lost DVD series because of the way that series ended. I almost felt the way with the Next Gen and what they did with Data. Yeah, I I thought it was pretty ignoble. It's just so for those who haven't seen it, don't spoiler, bother. Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, 
What happened? Well, well I tell you How what. How did they end data? Uh, I don't even want to. He, he, well, I know. Last I saw of him, he was in that one movie, and he was like, uh, he sacrifices himself. Whatever, so. No, that was one uh, of his high points. He ends up sacrificing himself for Picard and the crew of the Enterprise, but somehow part of his consciousness is transferred. It was almost like now that I think about it, like Spock and McCoy in in the search for Spock. A piece of data is in what was the robot's name before? Be. Uh, or am I anyway? It was like yeah. It was an earlier version of Data that was kind of like dim-witted and kind of reminded me of Abbott from Abbott and Costello. And I guess Brent Spiner, you know, enjoyed playing that version of the character. Oh, what was the hell? Was the uh, heck was the name of that movie though? It was uh, that was, was Nemesis. It? Nemesis, and they chalked that thing up. It was like the writer of. Uh, Gladiator got involved, and Brent Spiner, and the Romulans, and the Remulans, and it's like, whoa, and then, anyway, we're going way off topic, which we often do on Planet 8. I'm going to jump over to Bob. Bob, I want to hear about a robot. Oh, we're still still talking robots, so that's good. Well, I didn't want to talk about a robot. Ooh. I want to talk about a type of robot. Do tell. And of course... That would be the classic Japanese super robots. Started off by Mazinger Z, by Gonagai. And uh, basically, there's a few different types of these, quote, super robots. Uh, you have the type where, you're be- where they're being controlled mm-hmm. from afar, like a Gigantor or like a giant robo. Or you have the type that are piloted, which was uh, basically kicked off by Mazinger Z. And then you also have uh, later on, and we'll get into this in a little bit, when Gundam was uh, introduced, they were more like, they weren't so sentient, they were just tanks. Mm. Tanks that were piloted by, by people. But mm-hmm. there's robots that combine together from different vehicles and ships and things. There's robots that, uh, that change or transform that would later become like the Transformers or GoBots or that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, the ones back, like I say, in like the 70s, you had, uh, they were just like giant metallic samurai that were basically piloted by a, by a human. And, uh, yeah, you have Toei, I obviously kicked it off with Mazinger Z, uh, with Gonagai. And with Gonagai, they had things like, uh, like Mazinger Z, Great Mazinga, Grandizer, uh, Jig of Steel, Get a Robo, Get a Robo G, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there was also Nippon Sunrise, which uh, kind of has some of the ones I really grew up on. Uh, when I was in back in the San Francisco Bay Area, KEMO TV 20 uh, had a Japanese language uh, programming on Sunday nights. And one of the shows they would show was Raideen. And uh, Raideen was from Nippon Sunrise. And... Um, you know, they had it subtitled. It was, you know, all the, these are all like anime shows. But um, that's just sort of like kicked off my love for the whole super robot genre. And Nippon Sunrise, after the success of Raideen, went on to do things like Combattler V, Voltus V, which were basically com- combination robots, uh, Zambot three, Dighton three, And then they actually came out with Gundam, which kind of changed the whole landscape of, of the robot world. And uh, yeah, as far as 
over here in the States, um, quite a few actually made it over. You know, back in the 60s, there was a Tetsujin 28 that made it over here as Gigantor. Fred Ladd brought that over, along with Astro Boy and Kimba and etc. Uh, Mazinger Z did actually make it over here as Transor Z, but uh, one of the best things about Mazinger Z is basically the soundtrack. <laughs> and they stripped the soundtrack and just uh, put in like typical early 80s synthesizer type music, mm. which really wasn't good. Um, and then some of the other you know, toy robots like Grandizer, Guy King, Dangard Ace, Get Robo G basically combined with Starzinger to make a show called Force 5, which showed in some places around the country uh, where they would do like Monday would be Grandizer, Tuesday would be Guy King, Wednesday. So it was like syndicated, huh. and each day you'd get a different right. show, and they just right. rotate each week. Um, Shout Factory, in fact, has um, Guy King and Dangard Ace out on DVD now. You can get them. And what those were were... Uh, Episodes that were combined into two or three movies. And uh, Bill Winkler, a friend of the show, he uh, did the dubbing on those, as he did with Tekaman back in the 70s. And, um, you know, basically, uh, those those have been released as as movies. Um, Golion and Dairaga 15 were combined to make Voltron, which a lot of people have seen or probably heard of. Uh, Tatsunoko did Tekaman, which we just spoke about, and Gordian, but they also did Mospita, Macross, and Southern Cross, which came together as Robotech, which uh, was really influential to a lot of American Japanese animation fans right. throughout the years. And, um, and basically, even earlier this year, Fathom Events had a, uh, a movie event with Mazinger Z Infinity from mm. Funimation, which was an amazing movie. And uh, it should be out on DVD, Blu-ray at some point. Um, right now, it just made the, the theater rounds. But uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Really captures the flavor. It's brand new, but it really captures the flavor of the classic Super Robot shows. So uh, cool. that would be my contribution, and I'm proud of it. I, I noticed that there was not a certain golden robot that turned into a rocket. Well, I was going more for the animation. Ah, but, okay. uh but there was a golden robot that became a cigarette lighter called Golighton. <laughs> but uh, I will leave uh, Space Giants to other people. We'll leave Space Giants alone for right now. Um, Karen and Bob came up with some really good robots. I kind of went to the fun side of the spectrum. Uh, if you have not tuned in to a program called Red Dwarf... Uh, I really, really recommend you do. It's British humor at its best. Talks about the last human alive, David Lister, uh, more than a million years into the future, and he's on board this mining ship called Red Dwarf. There's an accident on the ship, and uh, for different reasons, he's in stasis, and the computer on board leaves him in stasis while everyone else dies from the radiation, trying to protect Dave. The onboard computer named Holly goes kind of senile because it's by itself for a million years and it's steering the ship into deep space. The radiation levels come down. Dave Lister is brought out of stasis and his pet cat has evolved into a human form of a cat generations later. It's, you know, it's a million years later. This 
So the cat's on board to keep him company, and a hologram version of his not-so-good friend, uh, Rimmer, um, because the computer thinks that having a not-so-good friend will keep you sane uh, and, and give you meaning to your uh, life, because what do you live for when there's nothing else out there? Anyway, Dave Lister loved um, different kinds of gizmos and and stuff. There's also a, a robot on there called Crichton, uh, and I almost picked Crichton, but it, it, what I went for was Talkie Toaster. Uh, Karen has watched Red Dwarf. I don't know if you saw the Talkie Toaster episode, Walker. I think I vaguely remember this, but not not very well. Well, so what happens is Dave Lister uh, goes, <laughs> yeah, he just goes on shopping sprees and he buys this uh, Taiwanese toaster from a company called Crapola Inc. And, uh, you know, the whole purpose of the toaster is to toast. And Dave's having a bad day and the toaster's trying to brighten up his day and it's this, you know, bright voice, chipper and just, uh, you know, the, the toaster says, may I ask you just one question? Would anyone like any toast? And he's like, no, nobody wants any toast. And the toaster engages in small talk and Dave's still not feeling good. And the toaster breaks the conversation, says, would you like a crumpet? No, I don't want a crumpet either. I, I'm feeling bad for himself. And it's just, you know, would you like a Pop-Tart? Would you like a, a, a bagel? Would you? It, it's, it's a stupid, uh, nonsensical robot that you know borderline might not even be considered a robot it's a talking toaster but i thought it was a lot of fun uh anything out there that can make us laugh uh either at ourselves or one another is something to uh to take a look at so that's that's go ahead it's like the descendant of alexa (laughs) you know it's funny because uh i was thinking about hal i was thinking about siri you know because Walker, you kind of introed it with, you know, here we are as a society thinking about what is artificial intelligence and and where are we going? So, right, will we go towards Hal or will we go towards Talkie the Toaster? I don't know. Stay tuned. Walker, what else do you have for us out there? Well, the other um, character that I really enjoy, which I've done a lot of thinking about and writing about, mm-hmm. um would be the vision, uh, ah. the comic comic book character, mm-hmm. who of course now is also a movie character. Yes. Um, but uh, this is a character uh, who appeared in Marvel Comics in the Avengers originally, um, created by Roy Thomas. Um, the story behind that, interestingly enough, um, uh, I actually contacted Roy Thomas because I was writing an article about this. So I, I he's a very nice man, mm-hmm. uh, very interesting to talk to, um, and uh, he basically he um, kind of felt frustrated uh, because at that time there was, uh, for whatever reason, there was this editorial decree that he could not use. Um, the big three of Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor and the Avengers, I guess because they had their own books and there was a lot of um, continuity to deal with. And so he uh, he had these other Avengers who did not have their books and he's, he wanted to create a new character. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, Roy Thomas is a big fan of the Golden Age superheroes. 
And uh, there was a Golden Age superhero called the Vision, who was actually an extra-dimensional being and very spooky. He could turn into mist and all this stuff. And he really wanted to bring this character in. Mm. But for some reason at that time, Stan Lee, uh, Stan the Man, uh, he was very adamant. He wanted an android. I want an android on the Avengers. And so in sort of a best of both worlds compromise, uh, Roy Thomas took the the kind of look and power of the old Golden Age vision and uh, the android uh, origin and created the vision that we all know and love today. Um, and so the, I think the thing that was very appealing about the vision, um, at least back in the day, was – um, and they didn't call him an android. They called him a synthesoid. There was this distinction hmm. that he was a sort of more like a synthetic man, that he was made of synthetic parts, but was in all respects, you know, designed like a human being. Um, but I think that, you know, he was interesting in that he was very much sort of like a Mr. Spock character and that he was kind of the outsider, hmm. but, you know, this powerful being that, the Avengers relied on, you know, to get things done and, and so forth, but always sort of on the outside looking in. And, of course, they began sort of this um, uh, love that he had for the Scarlet Witch, which for a while went on where both of them were fe- having feelings but not acting upon it and everything. And so, um, you know, it was a very interesting character uh, in that, you know, how could this this you know android have these feelings and how did you know how could this be and so forth and um i think that um, the movie did a really great job of depicting the character as he was in the very early days of the comics as well right right uh you know uh, that definitely came across uh that you know he was struggling to understand his emotions that he had as as uh, being, and in in the comics they explain it in that he was programmed with the brain patterns of a of an actual human being. It turned out to be Wonder Man, who I don't want to go too down, far down the rabbit hole here. Yeah. He's another a deceased superheroes, and I think in the movie you kind of get the impression that he's been imprinted upon by you know Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, Banner and Ultra, yeah. But no, no um, Infinity Stone in the in the comic version, though, right? No, not at all. He just had a right. solar gem that right. that he used. Uh, but over the years, uh, he's become much more robotic, much more like a computer. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons for that, including I, I think the major one was that John Byrne kind of stripped him of his personality in the 80s in right. West Coast Avengers. But I think that he was a very interesting character early on. He was a mainstay of the Avengers, and it was certainly a character I really adored um, and, again, had that outsider appeal that I think a lot of kids um, really go for. And, uh, you know, that whole android angle, at least back, you know, in the 70s, was a really – cool thing now everybody's got you know basically a a little robot in your pocket that you talk to all day so it's probably not quite as cool (laughs) but but then it was um it was a really um novel idea yeah that was a good one i remember reading about uh, avengers and vision and all that stuff it was a sad day indeed when they stripped away his emotions and his uh that part of his personality kick it over to bob 
<laughs> well, you brought it up. You mentioned space giants, so uh, I did. There were some robotic TV shows that were not animation over in Japan. Uh, of course, you had Johnny Sacco and, fl- and his flying robot. Yes, you had space giants. You had uh, Mock Baron, Red Baron. You had quite a few. So, but to kind of go back into Space Giants, Space Giants was definitely uh, you know the robot family that all turned into rockets, uh, which was Goldar and Silvar and Gam, mm. and then uh, mainly concentrated on the uh, relationship between Gam and Miko, who was a, a boy from Japan who. They gave a whistle to. He could use the whistle to call the robots, like one whistle for Gam, two for Silvar, and three for Goldar. And, uh, you know, obviously, if he's calling Gam, it's to get him out of some earthly-type situation. If he's calling Goldar, then it's probably to fight some giant monster. Uh, The interesting thing about the series, though, was in order to have better monsters in it, than, say, Johnny Sacco or the more higher-budgeted Ultraman, they would have each uh, story in the series would be serialized over five episodes. So you'd have the same monster for, like, five episodes. So instead of, in a 52-episode series, instead of making 52 different monsters and maybe reusing one or two once in a while, mm-hmm. um, you know, they made one-fifth that amount. That's a good and point. I remember the, that. Uh, they were able to put more budget into a single monster suit than uh, than having to make them. And, you know, too, you've also got the hero suits, which uh, since those are in every single episode, they get beaten to hell. So wow. um, you have to, like, remake the hero suits once in a while, too. Yeah, that but, kind uh, of differentiated itself to me yeah. uh, as a lad watching these, that it was more serialized over several mm-hmm. episodes. And the other shows... Bam. You know, yeah. Ultraman defeats the enemy and psh, n- new one. Well, there were some reoccurring monsters, but oh, yeah. p- pretty much. And of course, uh, you had Rodak, the, the main villain. Yeah. But also that, that whole series, which was uh, based on the, the manga Ambassador Magma, uh, that was originally drawn and created by Osamu Tezuka, who was basically the Walt Disney of Japan, right. or was until he passed away. Yeah. Um, and he basically was the one that did Astro Boy and Kimba and yeah. you know quite a few others and uh, so yeah it basically it, it came from I'm sure it's you know he didn't think it was anywhere near what his comic was but <laughs> <laughs> but that was basically what it was based on so I, he's, I he's loved, credited as the creator of, of Space Giants I, I loved the intro to uh, to the Space Giants um, the music, the you know, the cowboy boots jumping down, and the oh, I was just. Well, you also have a lot of animation in it too. A yeah. lot of the spaceships and things were all animated yeah. instead of practical. That's true. You know, model effects. It was a fun series. There, there were cowboy boots. Cowboy boots, and he had spurs too. You know, what? Dun 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 dun. Goldar, a 50-foot robot, and his space family with Methuselah. Oh, my God, Walker, if you've never seen it, YouTube it. It is the, the intro. The series is not as good as the intro, I have to be honest, but that intro is, like, amazing, and the music is so catchy. I missed out on so much. I, you know, that's <sighs> the one thing I, I don't understand is why 
the Los Angeles stations didn't carry these programs. I mean, we we got like Godzilla movies, we got Johnny the Johnny Sacco movie, but we didn't get the um, the programs, the serialized, you know, programs. So I, I never got to see any well, of this Well, you stuff. guys, you guys got Get Smart. We didn't get Get Smart. So you got Jaime <laughs> I, the Robot. I don't, I don't know go. if it's a, I, <laughs> well, I don't I mean, know if it's a great trade. I mean, the, the, thing, the thing we had up up in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area was basically, um, of course, the Godzilla movie showed and Ultraman showed. It was actually Bob Wilkins who hosted say, Creature God Features bless in Bob the Bay Wilkins. Area. Uh, when he left Creature Features, or the last year he was with Creature Features and beyond, uh, he did a show called Captain Cosmic, and mm-hmm. he was always looking for content. And uh, he basically would show Johnny Sacco, Space Giants, Spectre Man, and that's really kind of where we got all that in the Bay Area. Wow. You know, slightly edited to fit uh, Captain Cosmic and 2T2 in there, wow. but... Uh, yeah, that would be the the first place most he of us had saw Flash those. Gordon too. I mean, he and he, he brought back Ultraman. So. Every yeah, everything on that show. No Jaime though. And Star Blazers. Yeah, that was that was a good show too. But yeah, uh, the the guy we had in L.A. favored Popeye, so I think you guys did much better. <laughs> I don't know. I love Popeye growing up. He's oh, okay. Ma- the old Max Flasher Popeyes. That was you can't beat those. Hands down, cannot be beat. Oh yeah, I mean when I when I was going to the gym and and trying to get fit, I would I would have that Popeye theme song on my uh, MP3 and just strong to the finish because I eat me spinach. Anyway, yeah, now we're getting off subject. Now we're getting way off subject. Bringing it back. Or was Popeye a, a robot? I think or an actual Sailor Man. I think Bluto would be more of the robot. Yeah, I could see Bluto as a cyborg. Yeah, because he was always strong. Popeye needed to cheat and have spinach. Popeye didn't cheat. That's that's very, you know, organic. That's not cheating. It's healthy cheating, but it is cheating. I mean, he he couldn't do it on his own. Well, you know, are you going to say Batman cheats because he's got a utility belt? I mean. So does the Hulk. or, Or, you know, Captain America had the super soldier formula, so... Oh, you just destroyed my childhood, Walker. Me and George all, Lucas, all, baby. All my heroes are cheaters. <laughs> uh, getting back that's, that's on your lesson for this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> if you can't do cheat, transitioning into cheats from spinach to super serum. Let's toss it to the satellite. No, just kidding. Um, Why not? Why not? Uh, I was just going to mention. There's one honorable mention here that I wanted to toss out, but I had no real. Value. I just was curious if you guys had ever seen a movie. It's from 1957 called Kronos. And it's about this really bizarre, gigantic robot that stomps its way across the countryside, absorbing energy. I did not. I think Bob said affirmative. Friend friend of the program, Bob Ekman, loves that movie. Hmm. Yeah, I tried to uh, pull that thing up on Netflix. They didn't have it. Um, and I don't have it in my own collection, but... Uh, I may have a DVD of it, I believe. It, it's, I would have it's to look. Have to definitely one of those things that um, I recall from my early childhood watching. And, uh, yeah, the legs on the, the robot, I believe, were were animated. 
but I just remembered it was just like this big box that like stomped across the U.S. and, and absorbed energy and uh, it, not even it's sort of a robot, but maybe not. But uh, anyway, well, the legs are supposed to be energy, right? That's why they were animated. Were they energy? I thought I they think. were like physical, was but it? I, it oh. had like a ray that it was like sucking up all the energy out of. And then you have to feed it more energy. And, I need to borrow this sort of, DVD. I'll, I'll have I to know. dig out the DVD. Larry, you will fall asleep watching it. <laughs> it's like that. I, uh, I, I predict. Uh, Die Dime Dimagen. Dimagen. Yes, I, yes, yeah. I brought you over to watch that, and it was the best sedative you ever had. But <laughs> I enjoy it. But hey, it's all about variety. Hey. Daimajin hey. was not a robot, by the way. No, no, he was no. not. But but he he did put me to sleep. He was he was a vengeful spirit. I oh, think. you, you got to watch like the last five or ten minutes of each film, and yeah, that's the key. <laughs> unless you unless you're now into, you tell me unless you're into you can, period samurai films or whatever, then uh, you can sit and eat pizza the first like hour or whatever, and then watch the destruction and vengeance at the end. Yeah, those films were brutal. I mean, a lot of people hurt in the first like. 45 minutes and it's like oh my god it's depressing and then <laughs> big rock man comes alive and vengeance ensues we are uh, way off we topic. are way <laughs> off so to bring us back you know, it's a form of time traveling doctor who is uh one of my favorite actually tom baker was my doctor who everybody has their doctor who tom baker was mine he had this wonderful i won't call him a pet because it wasn't a pet his robot was called K9, and it was in the shape of this dog. Um, uh, but again, it had snarky little remarks. Uh, it had a laser that shot, I think, out of its nose. Um, yeah, concealed in his nose. Um, and it was just a, a different take on a robot, you know. I, I, I grew up i'm sure we all did watching uh lost in space and that was like the robot of all robots that played guitars that sang it protected it told you about danger but uh See, if that if that was a robot if i could own a robot that would be the robot i would own yeah him and him or robbie those would be uh if if, if i could mm-hmm. uh that's a good i'll, I'll leave canine alone because there's not much more to tell other than laser shooting out his nose and him was, talking uh, back to the Robert doctor Kinoshita, right the Designed both Robbie and and, and, uh, and the B9. Yeah. Walker, if you could own a robot, that's a that's a great subject. Which robot would you own? Oh, I'd kind of like to have Gort from Day of the Earth Gort. stood still because that guy nobody is going to mess, mess with, with him. Yeah, oh, I thought yeah, you were he say, just like stands on Rosie. my yard and <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't make me claw to. <laughs> Although he would be kind of hard, like if you needed to go somewhere, you can't really fit him in the car, so that's that's a little bit problematic. Just jump up on his shoulders and take him for a ride. He's very slow. Have you seen the guy walk? Yeah, He's well, you know, very, you can't be in a slow. hurry, but so really, you know, probably the more practical one would be to own something like Data, but then you feel bad because it's like, oh, he's really aware. I right. don't know if you should be owning own him. him. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'd go with the Lost in Space robot. Maybe be amusing. If Roby had, had his car, I'd, I'd take Robbie. Or, or, yeah, Robbie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool yeah. cruising around in that. Yeah. And he could make a lot of stuff, too. 
Yeah, I Ruby was sapphires. He could like and... make iced teas for me and stuff. You know? <laughs> he has his own dispenser, you know. <laughs> That's true. I would not want Hal though. Well, he's really a computer, right? So no, he's, really a, he's really a backstabbing more of an, son of a oh. <laughs> more of an artificial intelligence. So let me ask you guys: um, we didn't talk about the the rules, the laws. I'm sorry, not the rules. The, the three laws of robotics. <laughs> the three laws of robotics. Isaac Asimov. They kind of incorporated him into the RoboCop uh, movie version of those laws, but. Uh, go ahead, Walker. Why don't you tell us those you laws are, of robotics? So, so, yeah, so Isaac Asimov, famous right. science fiction writer, uh, put these together. He wrote a, a lot of different books that involved robots. Um, this is going way back. This isn't something yeah. that was, you know. So the the first time these appeared were was in 1942 in a story called Runaround. Uh, and they've been modified over the years, but the, the basic laws are that um, a robot may not injure a human being or mm-hmm. through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. The second one is a robot must obey orders given to it by a human beings, except when such orders would conflict with the first law. Hmm. And then the, the final law is that a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So, I mean, that works for robots that are basically servants. But, you know, if you had a robot that was supposed to be a soldier or something like that, obviously that's not going to work too well. Makes me think of that classic Star Trek episode with Rock. Oh, uh, the old ones. The old ones. That is the equation. Uh, He didn't have a problem, really. Uh. <laughs> no, he 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 figured it out pretty quick and and yeah. got busy. Um, See now, if you could own the Sherry Jackson robot, <laughs> but I digress. I don't know. I might take the Kirk robot, but I digress. Um, yeah. So those the rules of robotics. Uh, it, it's amazing to me that Asimov came up with those decades before now you know and you talk about a true visionary you know just making these (laughs) rules up based on i mean there were no robots back then no but they right they definitely they they had automation in the sense that they had factories and and there was ideas that you know oh you you might be able to you know build these mechanical men at Mm -hmm. some point well, I know, uh, you know, they had the Gollum, they had the Frankenstein monster, which were not sure. robots, but they were kind of like creations, you know, that, that we had no control over. Except for Frankenstein Jr., he was a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Animated series. Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossibles. <laughs> but yeah, I just, yeah, I just actually, derailed the whole episode right there. <laughs> if you think about it, probably very few... Film uh, robots really follow the laws of robotics because they're usually out there killing people. I mean, (laughs) certainly. uh, Well, that's another question, too. It's like all these companies are developing robots now and artificial artificial intelligence and all that. Are they following these rules? 
do they have those posted up on the walls of their factories or do they just ignore the whole thing and we're doomed? Well, that's one of those things that is being debated by a lot of people, um, you know, in in places like Google. There was actually a big revolt of Google employees who were concerned that um, some of the contracts they have with the military go against uh, what the company stands for or not ethical because they're worried that they're going to use artificial intelligence to actually target and uh, kill people on the battlefield. And there's a feeling that, you know, human beings have to still be in that decision tree. Like, yes, you could have a drone fly overhead and spot targets, but the drone shouldn't make the decision to actually shoot the target. A person should make that decision. Uh, again, but, uh, sorry, go ahead, Walker. But, you know, will our enemies decide to do the same thing or will they say oh the drone's more efficient let the drone make the decision it's faster than a human being back to star trek captain dunsell it's yeah it's a very scary thing you know these are all technologies that are very real you have people like elon musk or the late stephen hawking who are saying you know we have to be concerned about artificial intelligence and where it could go and uh they're not wrong, but it's like any technology, right? We There are good applications, like in medicine, artificial intelligence can diagnose things very quickly, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I want a drone making a decision about who to shoot. I agree. I mean... Or is it just going to become wars between drones? Where you don't even have people on the battlefield on either side. Who knows? Go, going back to Star, back Trek, Star Trek, what was that episode where it was like, well, you have to go into the you know disintegration chamber? That's right. <laughs> then we need Kirk to go and you know talk the computer into blowing itself up. <laughs> Only Kirk. Yes, we we won't get into Landrew and the Red Hour. We don't have enough time. Uh, this is drawing our uh, today's episode about robots to a conclusion. And I want to remind everybody, we're going to put our uh, our information out there for the web page and Facebook and Twitter and everything. The conversation continues after the podcast. What would be some of your robot picks or a favorite robot? Or if you could own a robot, uh, what robot would that be? Or why would you not want to own a robot? Um, you know, we, we want to hear from you be a part of the conversation Uh, at this point in the podcast we want to draw your attention to our sensor sweep and this is where we go ahead and bring to your attention some of the greatest and latest products and or shows that have come across our attention throughout the known universe we want to put a special uh, thank you out to project pimento www.projectpimento.com They are allowing us to use some of their music in our show and uh, if you get a chance to go to their webpage give them a look they have some great CDs available and uh, they do live shows throughout the uh, San Francisco Bay Area if you get a chance to check them out live uh, please do so today's sensor sweep your Mission Commander is going to share with you a comic book that came across my desk, uh, Action Comics 1000. 
and this was the celebration of Superman. Um, I'm a huge Superman fan. Uh, the comic books, movies, TV show, I'm one of the few people in the universe that enjoyed Justice League and hopes there's a Justice League 2, as well as a, a Superman 3 or Man of Steel 3, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, on his birthday, Superman, uh, uh, in the comic book, uh, there's several stories, actually, and the story I'm looking at is Never Ending Battle. It's his birthday, and he's recounting the events that occurred right before his arrival. He's out on patrol, and he gets teleported uh, to the lair of Vandal Savage. And he hooks him up in this device Superman's, you know, set up there and can uh, weaponize hypertime. And so Vandal tells Superman, you know, obviously as all good villains do, what the device uh, will do. It's going to trap Superman in an endless time loop, you know, because uh, how do you, do, you know, how do you beat Superman? You got to, you know, can't beat him face to face. Very few people can. So anyway, Vandal comes up with this time loop thing and uh, Superman's never going to be able to stop Vandal from taking over the world because he's going to be stuck reliving all these adventures throughout the thousand issues of Action Comics. So Vandal activates the device and he sends Superman into his own past and Superman awakens in 1930s Metropolis and he finds himself battling a group of gangsters and uh, Kal-El or Clark realizes that he's missing some of his powers but he's kind of exhilarated, uh, you know, realizing I can't fly but I can leap, you know, taller than a building and so on and so forth. But anyway, as the time loop progresses, Vandal throws Superman from adversary to adversary, including former villains and, and alternate uh, versions of, of Superman. Uh, so, But despite this, Clark doesn't back down. He uses time to his advantage, overcoming Vandal's attacks and besting Vandal once and for all. And as Clark returns home, he realizes, you know, in, in every incarnation of him that he would it would always end with him reuniting with his family and it was kind of cool because you know each page kind of played homage to superman of the 30s 40s 50s and they drew him and gave him the powers you know of, of that decade or that that time and um he's reunited with lois and his son and you know they got like a birthday cake or something and superman reflects and says what doesn't kill you makes you stronger Staying true to yourself, abiding by the morals and ethics ingrained in you by your mom and dad, along with the lessons you learned in your own life, can pull you through the darkest moments. And I'm a big sap, and I'm a big Superman fan, so that, that just touched my heart. And the, the whole book is fun. It's, it's action-packed. It's the thousandth uh, issue of, of the Action Comics book. Um, you can... Talk to Walker. I haven't bought a comic book in, in years for different reasons. But I, I did actually go out and, and pick this one up. And if you guys get a chance to check it out, you don't have to get the book. You can go to dccomics.com and uh, take a look at it for yourself. Uh, I'm going to check and see if my co-podcasters have checked out Action Comics. Bob, Karen? Oh, not I. Make mine Marvel. 
not the biggest DC fans <laughs> on the cast. Oh, Batman's Batman's cool. Wh- I, don't which know. Is I never okay. really got into Superman. I don't know why. I think he was just too powerful, too indestructible, too perfect. I had a friend say, yeah. you know, Superman can fart and blow out the sun, and you know what's, but you know, I don't know that he'd do that. Well, by accident, maybe. <laughs> anyway. On that gaseous note of uh, fun, uh, guys, I want to just really thank you all for tuning in once again to our podcast. Planet 8 wouldn't be anything without uh, you guys listening in to us, um, giving us feedback uh, online. Um, I'm going to throw out our information to you. You can check out our website, www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com. Our Twitter is Planet8Cast. Our Facebook is Planet8Podcast. Give us a follow. Give us some feedback. Become part of the conversation. Let us know what you thought about robots or action comics or Superman. Or or you can always comment on some of our past podcasts as well. It has been our delight and joy to be with you. And until we see you next time, signing off from Planet8 and transmission.